On today's episode of the Wave Podcast, we have the Orioles finally have a lease. The, our long national nightmare is over. The deal is done. The ink is dry. The Orioles will be staying in Camden Yards, playing in Baltimore for the next 30 years. Josh and I break it down. We talk about some proposed stadium renovations. We talk about it all. Also, is John Angelos getting ready to sell the team? We break it all down. We talk about the Orioles and what's been going on in Baltimore over the last couple of weeks. We're also talking a little bit of Shohei Otani. His deal with the Dodgers is finally done. We have some facts. We break it all down. Financials, what have you. We're also talking Ravens. As always, we're breaking down the Sunday night football game win in Jacksonville, 23-7 of the Jags. We're talking it all. Keaton Mitchell, unfortunately, is done for the year with a torn ACL. Lamar Jackson is balling out in prime time. Kyle Hamilton continues to be a dog. We're breaking down everything from this win, the highs and the lows. We're previewing our Monday night Christmas Day game against the 49ers in week 16. We're breaking down keys to victory. We're talking headlines. We're talking injuries. We're talking keys to victory. We're talking unit matchups. Everything ahead of this matchup that we got. Last order of business, as always, getting you out with week 16 NFL best bets and sending you all into a fantastic holiday weekend. Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you for rocking with us. Here we go. Episode 84. Welcome back to the Wave Podcast. Today is Thursday, December 21st, 2023. We are a couple days before Christmas. Josh, we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. I, I hope at this point you and I are both done with Christmas shopping. Um, I have a couple more things to do just to kind of put a bow on everything. But uh, what about you? How are you feeling heading into the holiday weekend? Yeah, I'm feeling great. Uh, can't believe Christmas, you know, is coming up, snuck up on me again. I am almost done. I got my aunt's gift, my uncle's gifts in the mail, like in the mail back at home. Mom's officially done. I think her stuff comes in tomorrow. The only person I have to get a gift for is my dad. And like, we're kind of in the fourth quarter, but I kind of have idea of what I'm going to throw together. He says, get him a Chipotle gift card and a Chipotle gift card. So I'll get that. And I oh, know yeah. a buddy of mine that wants a sports shopping town. So probably getting like some Orioles memorabilia or something. So we'll see what we go with that. Okay. Hell, that, that's dope. Actually, I, I might hit you up offline about that because I was thinking about doing something similar for my dad. And there used to be this place in the Harvard Mall near where I live that had like a dope selection of Orioles and Ravens memorabilia. Last year, I got him this little like signed plaque with a picture from Adley's uh, uh, debut. Yeah. His first game at Camden Yards. And I was going to get him one, some, something similar for Gunner because um, he he's, loves both of them. Um, but I ran into the mall like last week and somebody told me that that guy no longer goes to the mall anymore. So I was like, damn, I got to figure out something to do. So, uh, yeah, I might hit you up offline about that. So I, since we're talking about this, I saw a black signed gunner framed like Baltimore city connect Jersey for about a hundred bucks. I, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. So that's not bad. <laughs> 
you, well, you piqued I'll, my interest. I'll, I'll go tomorrow and get a final price for you and see what we can figure out for sure. So just okay, stay tuned cool. tomorrow. Yeah, we can talk offline about that for sure. All right, bet. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I have most of my stuff done. Um, I know what I'm going to do for my brothers. I'm just going to give them gift cards because, you know, all three of them are in college and I feel like nothing's better for a college kid than a gift card. So <laughs> all three of your brothers are in college right now. Well, one of them's in undergrad. Two of them are in grad school. But yeah, dude, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's, man. That's nuts, dude. I remember when they were like little, little. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Two of them. One of them's in uh, med school. One's in dental school. And then the other is, uh, I want to say a sophomore in undergrad. I mean, that's pretty so, good. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. And then, and then, and my sister, she's the, you know, quote unquote fun one to shop for. I got, I got her some little stuff. Uh, I got her something really cool Taylor Swift related that I think she's going to lose her mind over. Um, but yeah, everything, everything's pretty much buttoned up for me. We are in the fourth quarter though. So I need to I yeah. need to cross the T's and dot the I's. Yeah. Um, speaking of crossing the T's and dotting the I's, that's what we call a segue in the business, folks. Um, the Orioles and the state of Maryland did a lot of T crossing and I dotting this past week. Josh, we have a lease. We have a signed lease. The ink is dry. The Orioles are not going anywhere. They will not be playing in any other ballpark for the next 15 years, at least 30 years max. I don't know about you. I am just super, super thankful that we can put this whole thing to bed. We don't have to complain about John being greedy and not cooperating with the state and the Orioles limbo. The Orioles are staying home. They're staying in Camden Yards. We did it. We're here. We made it. Yeah, that I'm just happy that it's over. I didn't believe it when I saw the initial report because, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, whatever George Bush said that one time during that J. Cole song. <laughs> Um, you fool me, can't get fooled again. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't believe it until I saw the governor sign the lease. And I really didn't believe it until I saw the Oriole bird just peeking over his shoulder, looking menacingly <laughs> at, the at the governor. So lease is done. National nightmare is over. I hope the renovations are cool. Um, you know, according to the press, we're off to a rocky start with them moving a really awesome press box. But, you know, I don't make those decisions. I just want this. I just, I'm just happy we're playing in Camden Yards. I can, I can live with that. So. Well said. Yeah, I was a little bit bummed when they said the, the press box would be moving for the writers um, just because I think like somebody maybe maybe it was RDT. Somebody on Twitter said that, like, that's one of the coolest views for writers in a press box in Major League Baseball. So, like, that kind of sucks. Um, but realistically, they'll probably just move them upstairs into the other press box, make some more room. It won't be super, you know, marginally different. I think by and large, um, most of what I was reading about, what I was trying to, you know, get some inside information on, um, it, it's it's all good stuff. So I'll just give you guys a little, little bit of a rundown uh, from a couple articles that I read regarding the details of the lease. So it's a 30-year lease, quote unquote, um, but it's currently, as we current stand on December 20th, it's only a 15-year commitment. The Orioles and the state of Maryland can agree to a developmental plan on the surrounding area of Camden Yards. So, Josh, kind of like what you and I talked about last week, how they kind of wanted to do something like the battery or like like what Philly has. Yeah. Within the parameters of. The room that they have to work with. Yeah. If they if they can at least agree to a developmental plan by 2027, the lease will be extended from 15 years to 30 years. So on paper seems like a relatively easy thing to accomplish in the next 
what, four years? That being said, we know how this ownership operates, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, in addition, we talked about the money and the funding from the state. John Angelos and the Orioles are taking the $600 million state-funded uh, money that was originally proposed. So the counter was, I believe, $1.2 billion that the Angelos family wanted it, it, when this whole thing started back in like August or something. Turns out they're going to take the $600 million. I also don't think it's a coincidence. This is just me putting my conspiracy hat on. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Ravens announced their stadium renovations when they did while all this was going on. And that may or may not have been a part of the, the Orioles saying, you know what, maybe we are good with the 600 million that you guys said you'd give us. Anyway, I digress. Um, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter through Orioles fans on what the renovations are going to look like. Uh, I've seen some stuff on Twitter about like some ideas that are getting thrown around some stuff that's been leaked. I know for a majority of last year and maybe even years prior, the upper deck in left field, like they just haven't been selling tickets there. The only time I ever saw people sitting there was in the playoff series against the Rangers, which obviously you want a capacity crowd. You need every seat, whatever. My guess throughout the entire summer was that they were planning on doing something with that section. I thought they would maybe turn it into like a sky bar lounge type thing, which I think would be really cool. Turns out that might be what they end up doing. I saw a couple people talking about the Orioles wanting to do something like that. I believe Atlanta has something in right field at Truist Park. Like, uh, I know they have that. Uh, I think it's called the Chop House, which is like a yeah. restaurant out in right field. I think they also have a bar above that. Maybe it's a different stadium, but I saw a picture of a major league stadium that has something like that. That's my guess. Um, I think that would be awesome. I think... I believe I mentioned it either to you or to Scoot at some point back in baseball season. I would love to see them do two things mainly. One, field level suites in in the left field wall. You have that wall that's brand new. You have a bunch of seats that you're losing from pre-wall. So this feels to me like an easy way to replace some of that revenue lost. Also, a field level suite in left field, like there will be people that'll jump on that. Like, I don't think they'll have a problem selling that. No. So I think that would be really cool. A couple other stadiums have done it. Um, Cleveland has had behind home plate for forever. Um, and another thing that I want to see them do is some sort of like diamond club level in the seating area behind home plate. Yeah. I know if anybody has ever been to a nationals game, they have it. Um, they're, the seats are a little bit bigger. They're padded. And yeah. there's like a concierge lounge restaurant type thing underneath of the concourse. I think those are, in my opinion, the three biggest and best renovations that they could make and should prioritize. Um, but there's been a bunch of stuff thrown around. Josh, how do you feel about that? What do you think on some of the proposed renovations, some of the ideas that have been thrown out there? Give me your give me your thoughts. Yeah, um, I was listening to you as you were talking about that. I was just kind of thinking through my head. I don't really want anything behind home plate. I kind of like the classic feel to it. But okay. I'll tell you where I wouldn't mind a place. Straight out center field, right where that green plaza is. We yes. already have a bar in that rooftop area. So why not make, instead of making it the left field and taking it away, make a restaurant like right in center field behind that wall. That'd be like a really yeah. awesome immersive experience. Probably even put a couple suites there. I don't hate the suites in left field either. Um, I think those are good seats um, as well. 
Um, I would like to see us utilize space that we already have. So utilize the warehouse more than we'd already do and make it more fan like exclusive. Maybe do mm -hmm. some more things with Utah Street other than like Boog's Power, which I think should stay there and like the home run stuff. Maybe upgrade 100%. the flag course a little bit. Maybe put a bar out there or something like that. Like mm -hmm. make it accessible where people can still watch a game there, kind of have standing room only. But also like a, something a little bit extra to kind of keep people there because I think that's a great place to kind of like have people win, like even during playoff runs, hopefully as we see in the mm -hmm. future where things get packed. So I would rather utilize the space that we already have rather than take away from seats and stuff like that. That's just my personal opinion. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe upgrade no, like I, the Miller. I, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I think that's, I think that's absolutely valid. Like, and from a business standpoint, as we know, John likes to take into account. Yeah. If you don't get rid of seats, you're not losing ticket revenue. Yeah. So I, I no, I, I think that's, I think that's a really good thought. And honestly, like, I love the idea of like an outdoor bar seating area type thing in the flag court, because while it's iconic, the standing room only a lot of people, couple people that I know, I know a lot of people in Baltimore like to just go and stand and watch a game because, you know, why not? It's the flat yeah. court. It's a great, yeah. great spot to sit and watch a game, catch a few innings, whatever. But I think if you put like picnic tables out there and you put a little bar, I think that would be a great use of that space. You yeah. Know? So yes. yeah, that's, I, I honestly, I never even thought of that. That's a really good point. One yes, thing, because, one thing, yeah. no, sorry. One thing that I thought about with the flag court is I just didn't want them to change it. Like I love how iconic the flag court is to Camden Yards. I think that's something that not a lot of ballparks have. So if you're going to do something to that area, I think an outdoor bar, like you said, is exactly what they should do or something at least along that avenue. Yeah, I think definitely I agree with you. I love the flag court. I love just walking out there, seeing everything out there. And just mm -hmm. it's a good like walking kind of hangout pregame and during the game period for an inning or two. So I think less is more. Just have like a bar, like even if it's just like a bar cart or something like that. And like you said, picnic tables. Like just space out enough where people can kind of hang out and kind of catch up there for sure. I think that would be a great idea for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just I wanted to talk about that a little bit as it's you know been on the forefront of every Baltimore baseball fan's mind for what feels like forever. Um, but to put a bow on it, Orioles fans, we have a lease. The Orioles aren't going anywhere. So last thing on the Orioles that I wanted to talk about is what's next. Uh, obviously, we know free agency's going on. Um, the Orioles made a move. They traded for a pitcher from the Royals. Don't even remember his name. Um, he's got a lot of uh, promising traits, and he's had some sporadic success in the major leagues. Um, a lot of people, including myself, are uh, optimistic at what the Orioles pitching staff and coaches can do with him. Um, in my opinion, obviously, pitcher versus hitter, but reminds me a lot of the Ryan O'Hearn move. And if we can get any sort of elevated production out of him, it's a win in my book because we really had to give up nothing for him. So kudos to Michael Elias for making that move. As far as I'm concerned, near term and long term, there are two things that I'm looking forward to with this team. Obviously, we need we need MLB ready players right now, specifically pitching. Yes. The Orioles have been rumored to be in on a couple of guys, namely Dylan Cease. Obviously, the Orioles made a call to the White Sox around the trade deadline last year about Dylan Cease. There were rumors that they were close on a deal, but GM Rick Hahn of the White Sox wasn't budging off of Jackson Holiday. And my understanding from my sources is that Mike Elias, in so many words, said absolutely not, as he should have. Um, I think Dylan Cease is a fantastic player. I would love him in Baltimore. 
I would not give up Jackson Holiday for almost anybody, basically anyone in the MLB. Um, I think he's going to be a stud. I think he's going to impact this team for a very long time. That being said, the White Sox have come back to the negotiating table. The Orioles are number of, one of a number of teams in uh, on him. The Dodgers, the Braves, I believe the Red Sox as well. I, I think personally that Dylan Cease will be an Oriole. If it's not by the beginning of the season, I think it'll be around the trade deadline this year. I just don't see any world that Chicago cannot get assets for him because I think he's two years away from free agency. You know, he's not going to resign there because they are nowhere near being competitive. So it would be just straight up foolish for them to not capitalize on his market value right now. I think the Orioles, for whatever reason, like him more than any other pitching prospect or pitcher out there, I should say. So I think, I think Elias gets it done this year. Um, but anyway, just wanted to address that. Corbin Burns is also another guy. Um, I know Scoot was really big on the Corbin Burns to Baltimore train before last season, um, as were a number of people. He would be a great addition as well. Um, but anyway, I think it's pretty obvious that starting pitching is a priority. Off the field, what's next for this team? I believe it came out after we recorded last week. But there have been floaters put out there that uh, David Rubenstein is interested in buying the ball club. I don't know who David Rubenstein is. I don't know anything about him. I know he went to Duke, and I know he's originally from Baltimore. That's all I know about him. I will become the biggest David Rubenstein fan if he buys the Orioles from John Angelos. Um, I, I don't know where all this came from. It Maybe it was just a negotiating tactic for the lease. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I think the timing that it came out was definitely significant. Um, and another little tidbit that kind of got swept under the rug amid the whole lease thing. A number of years ago, as many people are familiar, some of you may not be, there was a lawsuit between the Orioles and the Nationals over payments from the Masson broadcasts. I believe the Angelos family owns Masson. I may not be correct yes, on that. They do. They do. They do. Okay. Yeah. So long story short, John Angelos owed the Nationals a lot of money vis-a-vis Masson broadcast checks. They were going back and forth. He was trying to not pay them. On Monday last week, it was announced that they settled. They got it all cleared up, and that is no longer an issue. I think that paired with the lease signing, paired with the rumors of David David Rubenstein allegedly wanting to buy the ball club. Um, maybe it's me being a delusional optimist. Maybe it's, you know, the, the tea leaves being read as they should be read. Maybe things are falling into place for the Orioles. I, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know a lot about this Rubenstein guy at all, besides he went to Duke. Which uh, and he's from Baltimore. That's literally all I know about the dude. Like, and if he yeah. buys the Orioles, I'll forgive him. I'll forgive him for going to Duke. I'll say that much. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about the situation. I think in the settlement it said like the Orioles and both both the Orioles and the Nationals are owed five point one million in broadcasting deals. Oh, okay. I again, I could be wrong. I I don't know. I don't know how that TV deal works out. I know the national fans like around me aren't super happy about Masson. Um, it's all right. Neither are we. Yeah, it's just TV contracts in baseball are really weird and really lucrative. I just wish yeah, it was very more, weird. Yeah, I just wish it was more acceptable to watch games, but mm-hmm. they see me doing a better job, so I can't complain about that. So, um, yeah. I guess this one big we'll see. Um, 
I would be interested to see if we, if Masson did sell rights or whatever, where they would go. Would they go to Comcast or I guess Monumental Sports Network now? I yeah, that's I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think Masson's going anywhere though. That's the crazy part. Yeah, I don't either. I guess I guess maybe in any deal it would include like royalties to Masson yeah. or I don't know how that would work, but. Yeah, that goes back to the whole, you know, hyper local thing that we talked about with the MLB just as a whole, the nature of it. But uh, yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Like you said, it's just one big we'll see with Rubenstein with the whole Masson thing. But hey, man, like you said, if Rubenstein buys the O's, go Duke. Go no, no, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. But yeah, that was a bit too far. That was a bit too far. But that's okay. Um, I mean, shoot, good on him. Uh, we'll see. Again, I don't know what's going to happen. I know a lot of people in Baltimore want him, to, want Angelos to sell. Um, I know Nestor Aparicio, who owns WNST in uh, Towson. Like, uh, yeah, that sports network. I know he's been wanting okay. to sell them. He's been wanting Angelos to sell the birds for twenty something years now. So I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen at all. So we'll see. Hey. I'm we'll just happy see. we got a lease. Listen, I'm happy I can do our Cam Yards for the next 15 summers. Baby steps, baby steps. We got a lease. Let's 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 take let's take care of that first, and then you know we'll figure out the rest later. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll see. Um, last thing on baseball that I wanted to talk about just briefly before we go ahead and move into our football talk this week. Obviously, everybody's talked about it. It's no secret. It's out there now. Shohei Otani, no longer a free agent, has made his decision. Next 10 years, he will pl- be playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, to me, this was kind of underwhelming, maybe because I just assumed he would end up there from the beginning. I was kind of hoping he would go somewhere like a Arizona or a San Francisco or a Seattle. Um, I, I, I was on the San Francisco train for months just because I felt like it, it fit the mold. They have, he, he's, he's very attached to his, his home, right? His, his Japanese heritage, San Francisco has a huge Japanese ecosystem there. Um, and also San Francisco has been longing for a superstar for years. They tried to get Aaron judge last year. They've been in on a bunch of guys over the last couple of years and just haven't got it home. So I thought who bigger than the biggest at baseball player on the planet, like the best baseball player of all time. I just thought it made so much sense. Um, yeah. but ultimately he chose the Dodgers. I'm just thankful he didn't choose the, the, the blue Jays because that would have really sucked for us. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I wanted to show love to him. Nobody is more deserving. Like I've said multiple times, he is the best baseball player that's ever lived. And I don't think there's really a question about it. Um, 10 years, 700 million, again, well-deserved. I initially was a little bit concerned at the contract itself because I heard that he was deferring 98% of it. He was only going to be making 2 million over those 10 years each year. Um, But then more information started to come out. And uh, shout out to Joe Pompliano on Twitter. He's a great follow for like sports business stuff, which I'm a huge, I'm very interested in. And if anybody else is, I suggest you check him out. He got into the weeds about it. And the biggest thing that came out of the financial aspect of this contract, which looking at it now is absolutely brilliant. I don't know whose tax code it is, whether it's the US or California or Japan or whoever, but there's some sort of tax stipulation that says, after a certain amount of time, I believe it was 10 years. After 10 years, if you're making deferred compensation on a contract or something, it gets taxed at a significantly lower rate. So living in California, paying 
state tax, paying local tax, paying federal, living in California, paying all those taxes on $70 million or seven, yeah, $70 million a year. It adds up, right? So now he's only paying taxes on 2 million a year. And for, I believe nine years after the contract ends, he's going to be making 68 million taxed at a significantly lower rate. So my stupid ass at first, I was like, oh, this is dumb. Net uh, present value, time value of money, blah, blah, blah. All the buzzwords that I learned in college. No, I was just talking out of my ass per usual. That's nothing new here. Um, and, <laughs> and Shohei and his financial advisors and his tax advisors, they actually made a very good deal. Um, so shout out to Shohei, super well-deserved. Um, the Dodgers are already capitalizing. They went out and got Tyler Glass now from the Rays. The Dodgers are going to be really good. They may win 120 games next year. Um, and all that to say, if they don't win a World Series in the next three years, um, they're frauds. Yeah, they got to win, right? <laughs> they got to win, right? Like, I Have mean, to. on the bright side, at least we'll see Shohei in the playoffs, which we kind of unfortunately knew was not going to happen with Anaheim. Well said. Well um, said. And, and that's just an unfortunate fact. I think we've seen Mike Trout in the playoff once. I don't think Mike Trout's won a playoff game. Nope ever in his career and Mike Trout has, has been one of the has, best players in baseball, you know, consistently. Yep. I, I used to have the joke he saying has one, Mike Trout one playoff appearance and no wins. Yes. Like I think um I think I made the joke saying like, oh if Mike Trout was in front of me, I wouldn't know what he looked like. Um just because <laughs> that's just how like <laughs> that's just baseball, kind of, unfortunately. That's just baseball. Yeah, that's just baseball unfortunately. But I think I know what Mike Trout looks like now only because I've seen him on the sidelines at Eagles games a lot. Like just <laughs> that's just my yeah, Every like middle of October, Mike Trout yep. is in his his little field suite at the Eagles games. Yep. So I'm needless to say, I'm very happy for Shohei. He seems like a very humble guy, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. He is the best baseball talent I think I've ever seen in my life. I would not hesitate to say he's the best baseball player ever. Um, sorry, Babe Ruth, but you weren't pitching and hitting like Shohei was. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> he was just a stud. Like. It's it's absolutely insane how talented he is and how humble he is. And I'm very happy mm-hmm. that he has a market that can appreciate him. He's getting paid a ungodly amount of money. I can't fathom seven hundred million dollars to one person. Um I mean shoot the city a city was arguing over six hundred million a week ago, so good point. It's it's insane <laughs> how much money he's gonna make, but I think it's well deserved and I'm very happy for him. And Dodgers fans have a reason to be excited and listen, we know what's gonna happen from April to September, uh, October is where you guys have your questions. I don't think the Dodgers are ever really out of it. I think they just have, you know, they run into some really hot teams. So I don't know what's going to happen. I think Shohei boosts your win probability by, like, you know, a gajillion. Because, again, this mm-hmm. is the best. He's, like, one of the best pitchers in the league. And, oh, yeah, he can hit absolute nukes. So, you know, get on for the Dodgers. And, yeah, good for Shohei uh, in a place that yeah. I appreciate him and close to his culture. And uh, yeah, that's that. It's just awesome. I'm very happy for him. Yeah, hundred percent. And just to kind of put a bow on it, I think you you hit the nail on the head. It's a it's a market that will appreciate him. Um, and it, like you said, it's great for not only the Dodgers and for Shohei personally, but it's great for the game of baseball that we're going to see him in October. You know, like we just we just talked about the Orioles and you know the whole hyper localness of baseball. The only time we get nationally broadcast games regularly is in October, yep. and for. 70% of the baseball viewing audience, like we don't get to see Shohei Otani very much. So the fact that we were robbed for the last, like, I don't even know how long he's been here already. Three, four, five years. Yeah. We, ha- we haven't seen him in October, which sucks. 
because like you said, he is the best pitcher on the planet and he is the best hitter on the planet. Like it's just been an absolute shame that we haven't gotten to see his talents nationally. Um, yeah. Now it's going to suck that he's still in LA and he's playing on West coast time. And I'm going to have to stay up until 10 o'clock to watch his games on a, on a, you know, Wednesday night, but I'll, I'll trade that off for getting to watch him and Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. And now Tyler Glasnow and Clayton Kershaw and those guys in October, as long as they're not playing against the Orioles. Anyway, I digress. Good for Shohei. Good for the Dodgers. Um, and uh, all I'll say is they better get at least one World Series in the next couple of years. They they have to, right? Like, they can't go over. There's no three. way they don't. There's no way they don't. They just, they absolutely have to. Like, I don't, I wouldn't call them frauds because I don't know what's going to happen by then. They could run Yeah, no, that Orioles. was a bit ambitious of me. They could run to an Orioles <laughs> buzzsaw for all I know, and we just hand them right. the business. But it could be a repeat of what, 68, I think? or whatever. I don't know. We beat them in one World Series. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, a long time ago. Maybe it was 63. Anyway, we beat them in the Brooks Robinson days. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just weird that you have a guy that can hit like Barry Bonds and pitch like Roger Clemens, all natural, might add, might add it, and like just be a stud. So very good for baseball. Just market him well and treat him well and just put his face on literally everything. Like yeah, everything, and you'll be fine. So I saw a funny tweet this week, not to get off on a tangent, but I saw a funny tweet regarding Tommy DeVito and people were like baseball is struggling so hard to market the best player that's ever lived but meanwhile the NFL has this guy that's Italian and like chicken cutlets and he's the he's the heartthrob of the nation yeah so yeah just Rob Manfred if you're listening to the show which I'm sure you are we plead to you just do the right thing and market him just please it's not hard he's a he's a great guy he's a very likable person incredible talent just do the right thing that's it um All right, I think we can put a bow on our baseball talk. Before we dive into our Ravens talk of the week, we have a game to break down and a game to preview. Josh, there was some Maryland football buzz going around this week. Um, Obviously, Maryland is playing in a bowl this bowl season. Do you know the the name of the bowl that they're playing in? They're playing in the – I forget the sponsor, so please don't shoot me, City of Nashville. But they're playing in the Music City Bowl versus Auburn versus offense. I think that game's on the 26th or 27th. Should be a okay. great game. Auburn, I mean, like Auburn's a good team. Maryland should be pretty competitive. I know mm-hmm. Talia's not. They have some guys not playing. Like Talia's not playing, and a couple other people, yes. I think. But should be pretty. Um, should be a pretty good game. And you know, I'll be watching for the Terps like always. Um, I got some friends over. work. So I'm very invested in this game, not only as a fan, but just because I I have friends who work with the who work alongside with the team on some things. So I really want these guys to succeed and do well. Um, that being said, I did see a kind of a funny tweet, which was kind of like a, did you really need to tweet everything you said by, um, <laughs> DC, like this dude named DC Barno, who's a really good Maryland, like follow, follow him if you love like Maryland sports or Washington sports in general. But, um, he said this in regards to Talia uh, Tagbaloa after he, um, decided to not play in the bowl game, I guess, to pursue the NFL. And he says, and I quote, I can't recall another le- career like Talia Tagbaloa. No signature wins, but took over a laughing stock of a program in 2020, shattered every school record, three straight bowls, and became Big Ten's all-league time-leading passer. It is bittersweet, but I'll miss him. Thanks for the memories, Leah. That tweet sums up what it's like to be a just a Maryland fan in general. Um, he didn't have to say the no signature wins because I thought he had some <laughs> signature wins. In my mind, I thought the bowl games were signature wins because we won a bowl game for the first time since like yeah. the fridge areas, fridge like the fridge area region. And he says, like, oh, yeah, he broke a lot of, like, like school records, which is insane considering only, he's only been here three years. 
And um, he became the big time, time like all leading pass, which if you were under a rock, you probably like you kind of missed that. You like you wouldn't think mm-hmm. that Maryland was chucking the ball that much, considering like some of the scores and some of the stuff that we played. But I mean, he has been honestly probably one of the best quarterbacks that Maryland had in the last 20 years and a great talent. I can never remember a quarterback like that good since like 2000. I think the only one that comes to comparison was Danny O'Brien, his freshman year. And uh, CJ Brown was fun to watch in 2016, like 2014 to 2016. Yes. Yes, he was. CJ Brown was really, really fun to watch. So it was just a funny little, like that, that sums it up where you just highlight, Hey, you didn't beat a ranked team, but you also won some like a lot of other stuff. So I thought that yeah, was kind we, of a little. We funny never, we never thing. beat, we never beat Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State, but we had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> like we got our, we got our face kicked a couple times, but you know what? It was fun while we had it. We beat the teams we were supposed to beat. So, like, it's it's weird, but it's also it's gonna be it's hard for Maryland to win. It, it just simply is hard no, for us to win those games. You're right. So. You're right. And we we've talked about Maryland a bit uh, in past weeks here, but you know it's just. I was really hoping with Loxley that they would prioritize the talent in the DMV in Baltimore area, because just flat out, it, it's some of the most athletically gifted talent in the country. And Loxley was very big on that when he came in. So I was really like, I bought in, like, I was like, all right, cool. Loxley's going to get Maryland back on track. And he did get some talent for sure. Yeah. But you know, like the, the one example that I go back to in recent history is Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams grew up in DC or around DC. Yeah. And you know, it's just while that talent is in your backyard, a, a, a program like Maryland is never going to be able to compete with the Oklahoma's or the Alabama's or even, you know, the Michigan's and the Penn States and the Ohio States like this just they're not. And, you know, you would love them to, but that's just not where they're at. But, you know, like you said, it, it's a major accomplishment that Talia is the big 10, you know, leading passer. And it's a major accomplishment that he won a bowl game. Like he's done a Three. lot of great stuff and Three. right. He's, yeah. he's had in a vacuum, he's had success and, Frankly, with a program like Maryland, that's all you can ask for. Um, I would love to see them get a win in the, the, the Music City Bowl. That would be huge for him and his legacy at Maryland. And honestly, it'd probably be, well, I take that back because he's not playing. So right. forget I said that. But um, it would be a testament to this team. Hopefully that'll help him in recruiting. And I don't know what uh, Talia's NFL prospect looks like, but maybe yeah, he know. gets a maybe he gets a day three pick. Maybe some team takes a flyer on him. I'm sure the fact that his last name is Tuckavaloa will help him. Um, I mean, he's he's gift like he's he's got raw talent, right? And you know, maybe he can end up on a practice squad or as a second or third string somewhere. And who knows? Maybe he gets an opportunity down the road. But I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna be rooting for him. But yeah. um, you know, I I think all in all, he had <clears throat> excuse me, he had a very successful career at Maryland. He did. He did. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him in a camp later on, like what was we talked about early next year, like playing in a preseason game. He, For sure. He kind of fits the Dolphins system pretty well. And I'm not saying that just because his brother's there. Like he can get the ball out quick. And if you yeah. don't, if you he can make a quick read and uh, he's not a bad quarterback. So I think I wouldn't, I, especially with the weapons that Miami has, I wouldn't hate to see him in that system at all, like backing up his brother, if that's the case. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a great, and I mean, very similar offense, obviously, but San Francisco yeah. as well, you know, like, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure Shanahan wouldn't mind having him on the practice squad as a second or third stringer, you know, like there, there, I think there are enough people in the NFL that have a respect for what he's able to do within a skill set that would give him an opportunity, whether it's a, you know, day three pick or undrafted signing, whatever. But um, yeah, as big cat says, hang the banner. We had a lot of fun. 
We did. We did have a lot of fun. So thanks to Leah for the memories, and hopefully uh, Maryland can pull out a good win against uh, Auburn in the Music City Bowl. Yeah, shout out. Um, all right, so we'll take that, and we'll segue into our Ravens talk this week. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a game to break down, and we have a game to pre- preview. So we will start with the former. Ravens going to Duval County, get a win 23-7 over the Jags. Um, I was kind of thinking about this earlier today. Obviously, you know, we could talk about eight, which I'm sure we will. But I feel like this game, like there wasn't a ton of like crazy highlights from this game. Um, This was, I think we talked about it a little bit last week. You know, this was a game where you just had to go in and take care of business, do what you needed to do and, and get home, get ready for next week, which all in all, they did. Um, Josh, you and I were talking throughout the duration of the game Sunday night, and there was some stuff that didn't necessarily go well. Um, offensive line to name one, which we'll get into in a little bit more depth here in a second. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the, the Ravens did exactly what I just said. They went into Jacksonville. They played decent football, certainly not perfect by any means. Um, they had some highs, they had some lows and they got out of there with a win. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that we could kind of walk away from this game saying is uh, the absence of Keaton Mitchell, losing him to the injury will absolutely hurt us. Um, I was, I don't know about you, but I was kind of waiting for that, like come back to earth moment where he touched the ball and he didn't take it for eight yards or he didn't have that burst. Um, and it didn't, it just didn't come. Maybe it was going to come later on. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know, but up until the injury, he was the most electric player with the football in his hands that wasn't named Lamar Jackson. So <clears throat> I'm gutted for him because of how his season started on the IR with the shoulder injury. And everybody was talking about how hard he worked to get back on the field. And obviously it showed once he got back on the field. I mean, like we just said, he was dominant. Um, so it, it sucks to see uh, the bat taken out of his hands, so to say. But um, I guess the silver lining to the injury was that it was a clean tear of the ACL and there was no other damage around the ACL. So, you know, all things considered, he's expected to make a full recovery. He's expected to be back to hundred percent at some point next year, which is great. Um, but anyway, it's just, it's going to suck not having him for the rest of the, of the regular season and into the postseason. That being said, we can officially say the postseason now because the Ravens clutched a, a, a playoff berth with this win. So that's all good too. Um, before we get into the intricacies of this game, Josh, give me your, uh, your afterthoughts from, from this game on Sunday. Yeah. My afterthoughts were, are like, you kind of hit a lot of nails in the head. So I'll kind of, follow your lead as far as like your like just that way of talking about it so first of all good win not a great win but a good win that you need to like that's the type of win that you need to have going into playoffs and taking care of business that's the type of win i don't think we had the last couple of years we kind of struggled to get going into a hostile environment in jacksville a team that has given you issues in that stadium and you just historically have not played well in jacksville throughout yeah, the 20-something years of Ravens football, you just have not played well in the stadium. That was probably the best performance they had in Jacksonville that I can remember, at least. And you go yeah, in I think and so. you, you go in and you get a win without playing your absolute best ball. Um, so that's a good win that kind of proves, like, okay, maybe this team can actually do something in the playoffs when things aren't looking pretty. So shout out to them for that. Good job on the win. Um, you fought hard there. You do need to clean up some things, but again, I'm okay with cleaning up things and winning and kind of learning more about this team. Lamar Jackson played phenomenal and amazing. And I'm sure yes. we're going to get into that, but this is why this was one of his better games of like his career. 
in spite of like a crazy like forced interception, whatever, it didn't even like hurt you that much. Defense did his job and balled out and consistently played well. Kyle Hamilton didn't look like he was rusty with injuries. Um, and offense showed some promise. And yeah, they showed promise. And I thought the game plan was overall pretty well executed and well called. I didn't have any problems with a lot of stuff. I know people complain about the targets, but my thing is it was a balanced game plan and you're not going to be much better than what they did with that. Like they were committed to running, uh, running the ball on like a really good run defense that was stopping you. Um, speaking of the running game, Keaton Mitchell, who, like you, like you mentioned, like you would expect him to kind of have a dip off at some point. No, not at all. Even his like three or four yard runs were powerful and strong and just like good, solid runs. And his explosiveness, he was the most explosive player on the field, not even Lamar Jackson, any time he touched the ball. His speed is absolutely insane. He was, like, jetting everywhere and cutting really well. And I thought he had a good game. Also, Justice Hill had a good game as well, so did Gus Edwards. So the running game, yes. all around, yep. everyone in that running back room had a great game. Well Keaton, done. Yes, well done. Props to you guys. You guys all should get a game ball. Um, the Keaton Mitchell injury, uh, the elephant in the room, it it's kind of gutting. I'm happy that this team responded as well as they did after he went out. But in the long run, that's the type of injury that can gut your team, probably more so than the Mark Andrews injury. And I'm not saying like Keaton Mitchell's is like to the running backs what Mark Andrews is, but he was a good little X factor wrinkle in the game plan that people didn't know how to solve yet. Um, people know how to work with Mark, like at least they say they know how to defend Mark Andrews and Isaiah like he stepped up. So the tight end position, like you're good. You're not replicating Keaton Mitchell's speed with anyone in that running back room right now. That was an X factor that, you're not getting, and it's going to be a huge question mark on how we run the game. Now teams can probably game plan on us a little bit less than they were before because we don't have that guy to explode the ball out of the backfield we did before. Justin Hill is great, but he's not doing what Keaton Mitchell did. Um, as soon as like I saw the injury happen, I was literally getting off the of my dad, and I see like he's running and his knee bang back. I just immediately went, "Oh no!" Like that's that's. Mm, not, I did the same thing. Like that's not that's not good. I think like you saw Zay Flowers' reaction as well. If, just like oh my gosh like that actually like that actually happened and then shout out to uh nbc for not showing a replay on it because i heard it was like willis yeah. mcgahee bad it was that's exactly like was, what big cat said yeah 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 it was almost like he was running so fast that his knee just went like backward like just legit just went the other way like i don't know how it happened or what it's just it was just a yeah injury. it was a it was a crazy freak thing where like you said he was moving super fast and there were a couple guys that I, I noticed that slipped on the field from time to time at Sunday, Sunday night. Uh, and I'm, I'm by no means blaming the field. Like it's, it's a natural grass field. So like, right. you know, you, the, the whole turf thing, you can throw that out the window and it was it's wet. Just a free it was, thing. Yeah, exactly. It was wet. It had been raining for like two days prior to the game. So yeah, it's just a freak, unfortunate thing. Um, I think he, he maybe planted a little bit hard as he was trying to cut or move and, his foot just got stuck and yeah, you're right. It, it was very much like the Willis McGahee wears and he just bent backwards and yeah, it's, it sucks, man. It's just, it's, it's hard, but I'm with you. I'm a little bit concerned for the long term. Um, because like you said, you're absolutely right. He was, he was the X factor. He was the guy where, whether it was on a jet sweep, whether it was, you know, under center, turn around, hand him the ball, swing pass, screen pass, whatever, like you could find a creative way to get him the ball and he can make something happen just by touching the ball. So and not having that certainly can hurt us down the stretch. One thing I will say is, and I think you mentioned it there too, the way that they've responded was certainly promising, at least in my opinion. 
Um, Jacksonville's defense, we talked about it last week, is very good against the run. I think they were yes. like fourth in the NFL against the run. And the Ravens put up 250 yards on them running the football. Um, and, you know, sure, you could say that they were up by three scores and they just ran the ball. But regardless of how many times you run the ball or what the clock situation is, you still have to do it successfully to put up 250 yards. And they yep. did just that on the fourth best rushing defense in the league. So, yeah, while you can you can say whatever you want about OBJ getting a little only one catch, few targets, Zay having one catch, whatever they ran in the ball really well. And a lot of that came in the second half. Uh, Josh, you and I have talked about it all year. This team is just flat out different when Pat Ricard is on the field yeah. running the football to be specific. And I noticed Pat Ricard in much more in the second half than he was in the first half. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they ran the ball much more effectively in the second half. No. So moving forward, if you're going to lose that X factor from Keaton Mitchell, you're going to lose that pop ability. I think you you have no choice but to use Pat Ricard and Charlie Kohler and let these guys help you win in the trenches. So that way, while, you know, if you're in 11 personnel, when you had Keaton Mitchell and you could pop for four, five, six yards, if you go with 21 personnel or 22 personnel, if you're still getting four or five a clip with Gus Edwards or Justice Hill, it doesn't really matter because, you know, yards are yards. So, Yes, while it sucks and I'm I'm gutted for Keaton Mitchell, uh, I think this is going to come down to Gus and Justice having an opportunity and seizing it, and also Todd Munkin being creative and finding ways to to move the football flat out. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Lamar Jackson a little bit. You and I are obviously big Lamar Jackson fans. I don't think there's there's any secret in that statement. I personally a huge Lamar Jackson fan. I don't think there's any hyperbole or biasness in what I'm about to say. That Lamar Jackson performance was an all-time performance. And I know you look at the stat sheet and it doesn't blow you away. 14 and 24, 171 yards, touchdown and interception. He ran the ball 12 times for 97 yards. I forget what milestone he passed. I think it was like the fastest quarterback to like a certain amount of yards or something yeah. by by like a crazy amount of games, like yeah. Vic and Newton and Russ, like he's not even close to any of them. Right. Um, this was a primetime L freaky performance. He was, I think he felt the heat a little bit from, from the offensive line giving up pressures and he just took it personally. Like he was like, you know what? I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to let these guys tackle me. I'm going to get the ball out. I'm going to make plays. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And he did exactly that. And obviously the play that's been going around is, you know, the one where he like spun out of a sack and then he threw up that jump ball to likely and likely went up and made an incredible play on the ball. And I think it was Dwayne Smoot was like looking at him, like standing over him, like how? Yeah. And he was just like, how did you get out of that? That's that's Lamar Jackson. That is primetime L freaky Superman cape Lamar Jackson. And I don't know why all of a sudden it came out, but we were gifted with an all time L freaky performance. Yeah, I mean, we needed to with the way that the O-line was not really holding up as well in pass protection, especially on the edges. I'm sure we'll get to that later. But, dude, Lamar Jackson was just – his escapability is insane. There were a couple plays I'm like, how did you – like, how did you physically get out of that? Like, that one play, which is one of, like, five. Also, I was like Mm – I saw him throw that ball up. I'm like, that's a stupid throw. And then I just saw Isaiah, like, go up and just beam top a guy. I'm like, oh, okay, well, shows how much I know. (laughs) Like, all right, like, shows how much I know here in this situation. Who am I to say was a stupid throw or not? 
but that was an amazing performance by him. His escapability is, and he's also doing it with his arm because he fit a lot of tight balls in different spaces. And yep. just, instead of like tucking and running, like he did probably his first year or so, he's like escaping and looking with his head up to see where can I go with the ball. And it was just amazing. A very underrated play in that situation was the first drive to Bateman, the first pass to Bateman, where yes. Mars in the pocket has about, you know, four, five, six seconds, some pressure's coming, just does a little juke move, escapes it, toss it to Bateman. Bateman catches it, gets a couple yak yards for a first down. Um, mm-hmm. Bateman was a huge X factor in that game, by the way, as well. Just Had being a great game. Going. Yes, great game, really great game. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought up Rashad Bateman because he was another one that I wanted to show some love to. Didn't light up the stat sheet by any means. Uh, he had three catches for 39 yards on the day. But like you said, he was able to find space when Lamar got out of the pocket. He had one drop, which, you know, you'd like to see him make plays like that. But anyway, one drop. Outside of that, I thought he played really well. He had strong hands, ran good routes, does, you know, what Rashad Bateman has been doing for most of the season. Um, and going back to what you said a couple weeks ago about Rashad, just continually stacking good performances. And I think it's building to ultimately having a bigger role in this offense, because when you play teams like San Francisco, or when you get in the playoffs and you play teams like maybe the Browns or maybe the bills or maybe the Colts, or, you know, in two weeks when we have the dolphins and they have Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey on the outsides, like you're going to play good teams with good corners and you need a guy who can be reliable, which, like I said, he had the one drop, but, if he can continually stack good performances and just be rock steady, you don't need him to be Cooper cup or Chris Olave or, you know, Tyree kill and have 400 yards and 10 touchdowns. But if he can, if he can get you 40, 50 yards a game on a couple targets and maybe a touchdown here or there, that's, that's more than enough for this offense. Yeah. Um, there are two guys that I specifically wanted to highlight outside of Lamar Jackson. One of them, we've mentioned him already. Isaiah likely. I think he had a phenomenal game. Five catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown led the team in receiving. We mentioned the jump ball. Really good throw by Lamar, but even better play by him to go up and get it. High pointed it. Like you said, Bean topped him, brought it down on their heads. Um, He had a really nice touchdown on a beautiful throw by Lamar. But I think what likely brings to the table that maybe even Andrews doesn't is his ability to move with the ball after the catch. Likely is really talented with the ball in his hands. Um, and I think that's something that we're going to see used creatively by Todd Munkin as we get into the important parts of the schedule. Um, he had a phenomenal game, wanted to shout out him and another guy. I know we talk about him every week, but Kyle Hamilton. Yes. I got to say something about Kyle Hamilton. People who follow me on Twitter, they probably remember when we drafted Kyle Hamilton. I was not over the moon about it. Um, in fact, I think I was on the pod the following week, and I said I would have rather traded the 14th overall pick to Tennessee for A.J. Brown than drafting Kyle Hamilton. I would just hand up on my soapbox like to say that that was an idiotic statement of me and that not only is A.J. Brown and you know the whole people people are talking about him being a maybe a diva receiver and I won't get into that because I'm not following the Eagles and I don't know AJ like that. But what I will say is Kyle Hamilton may be the single most important piece on this defense rivaling Roquan Smith. Yes. And I think the only reason you can maybe give Roquan the edge is because he wears the green dot and calls plays. Yes. What Kyle Hamilton is doing is nothing short of first team all pro. 
he may legitimately be a top five, top eight defensive back in the NFL right now. It's insane what he's doing. He has multiple tackles every game. He led the team in tackles this week. He had six solo tackles and one assisted tackle. And as a cherry on top, he had a key PBU in the end zone on that touchdown that Terry McCauley is still telling people is a touchdown for Calvin Ridley. Yep. He is a dog. D-A-W-G dog. And I'm glad he's had multiple games like this on primetime. He also played really well in the Chargers game a couple weeks ago where people can start to recognize how good and how talented and how freakishly athletic he is and hopefully will be for, for the Ravens for many years because he is unbelievable when it comes to playing defense for the Baltimore Ravens. I think he's going to be a guy where I uh, shout out to my boy trainer. I think he tweeted this uh, last week, avoiding a major injury last week, knock on wood for Kyle Hamilton may be our defense's saving grace because without him, our defense is night and day different from with him on the field. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I was so relieved to find out it was a major. It was just something like little, just a date, like a Nick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that dude's a really good football player. I, I can't believe some people would get on, like just call him soft in any way, shape, or form. I don't know who would ever do that. They're, they obviously uh-huh. don't know football. Totally wasn't me <laughs> at one point in time in the first three weeks when we were giving up leads, and I just blamed it all on the new guy. Yeah, I've never been more wrong about anything in my life. Um, hey, me too, man. I was right there with you. Dude, that kid is such a good football player. It is absolutely ridiculous. He's a genetic freak. His arms are long. His body's like just quick and slender, but he's also like kind of stocky and just can hit people hard. He's fast enough to break up plays. He is a tackling machine. I don't remember us having a safety that tackles that well. I I don't think it's I don't think it's blasphemous to say he tackles better than Ed Reed does. I don't think that's a crazy statement to make either. I really don't. Fundamentally, I think he does. Ed Reed was a better hitter, a better coverage, mm-hmm. like a cover safety, and he could pick the ball off from anywhere. For sure. But tack, tackling, that dude's the best tackling safety I think we've ever had. Probably one of the best I think I've ever seen. That dude is crazy. You can put him in anywhere on the football field and he'll like just he'll do well. He will take away your best player. He'll rush and blitz the quarterback and get home timely enough. And even if he doesn't get home, he'll just swat the ball off the air and pick it off. Like that yeah, kid is a exactly absolute, like we saw against Cleveland. Yeah, that kid's an absolute like stud of a football player. EDC was in his absolute bag when he picked him. And it goes to show that, hey, maybe these guys actually do know what they're talking about when. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's just that good of a football player. And like you said, he is, I think he's the second most important person on the defense side, ball not named Roquan Smith. I don't know mm-hmm. how we're going to afford him in the next couple of years. Luckily, that's a two years down the road problem and not yeah. like a this year problem. But yeah, I, he, he legit solidifies the whole back in the, a really good like secondary room. He is the cornerstone to that. Even I hate to say this, but even probably more so than Marlon Humphrey, he's more of a cornerstone. So. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. And I can't remember if it was last week or the week before that I said this about Kyle Hamilton. But, you know, the, the Seahawks were obviously on Monday Night Football this week. Kyle Hamilton is everything that Jamal Adams was supposed to be. Yeah. Jamal Adams was really good when he was in New York, had a lot of success. And then even his first year in Seattle before he got hurt, like he was playing really well. Um, He's just not the same player anymore. and to me, the way that Kyle Hamilton plays the position reminds me a lot of 
just conceptually how Jamal Adams played the position, but Kyle Hamilton just does it at such a higher, higher level. And that's not, that's not, you know, I don't mean that to be a shot against Jamal Adams by any means. It's just how well Kyle Hamilton's playing and how good he actually is. Um, You're absolutely right. As far as like fundamentally tackling goes, he's not afraid to get out in space. He's not afraid to lay the wood, but we've seen it on a number of plays, screens, outside zones, quick hitters. He, he gets to, he closes ground so quickly and he does like, he doesn't miss that many tackles. Like he's obviously missed them in the past, but especially, you know, making the jump from last year to this year, his tackling has improved so much. And that's, that's significant for somebody who was already pretty decent tackler. So yeah, I'm very happy that Kyle Hamilton plays for the Baltimore Ravens and not anybody else. I'm very happy that EDC reached way down in his Duffy when he made that pick. Um, and, uh, you know, also, we should have known. He's a Notre Dame guy. We should have known this. Uh, <laughs> Listen, yeah. I don't I don't think I've ever seen a Notre Dame guy this tough before. So, I agree. I, mean, I agree with that. Yeah, it's he's good. Like, he's just a really good football He's player. very good. He's very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, last, last couple things I want to say on this game before we move into this week. Two guys that I just want to highlight. Brandon Stevens continues to play excellent yes. football on the outside. Um, you take away the Jamal Agnew touchdown, which was just miscommunication, busted coverage. It happens. I think that was the first time that happened to us this year. Um, their leading ca- uh, receivers were Zay Jones, had five catches for 50, 59 yards, and Calvin Ridley, really good football player, yeah. had five catches for 39 yards. Brandon Stevens is also playing at an all-pro level, in my opinion. Um, Brandon Stevens should be a pro bowler. Brandon Stevens should at least be a second-team all-proer this season. Um, I can't say more about him. But I will continue to hype him up because not enough people are talking about him. He's playing incredible football. The last guy I wanted to shout out, Adafe Owe. Yes. Quietly had a very good game. Didn't another guy who didn't light up the stat sheet. I think he only had like three or four tackles. Um, but I believe according to PFF, he was the highest graded defensive player on the Ravens this week. No sacks, but he wrecked shop all we all all night on the edge. Was setting the edge, was getting pressure, was forcing Trevor to move around. Um Kind of reminds me a lot of how we've been talking about Rashad Bateman, just stacking steadily good performances. Yes. And one of these days it's going to pop. One of these days he's going to have a game where he gets a strip sack or, you know, two sacks a game, two and a half sacks, whatever it is. I just wanted to show him love because, yes, Justin Matabike should be the story of this defensive line. He's playing out of his mind. Uh, I think he has what, 11 sacks on the, on the season, or maybe it's 10. I think it's 11. Uh, 11, 11, I think. Yeah. Um, but Adafi Owe quietly had a very good game, so I wanted to shout out him as well. Last last thoughts on this game that I have. We talked about the run game without Keaton Mitchell. That's obviously a concern. I think my biggest glaring concern from this game is the offensive line. Yes. We've been talking about him sporadically over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Ronnie Stanley's just flat out a problem at this point, and I hate that we have to talk about it like that because I really do like Ronnie Stanley. I think he's... I think he's capable of still playing at his maybe not his best pre-injury form, but I think he can get at least close. Um, but he's just flat out not playing good football. He gave up seven pressures on Sunday night. Um, nobody else gave up more than two. And he only played, I want to say, 60% of the snaps or 65% of the snaps. They were doing what they did the week previous where they were cycling Makari and Falele in. Um Ronnie Stanley just was not able to anchor in the pass. Uh, he was having both Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker eat him up. And I, I don't, 
I, I'm sure him and Harbaugh have already had conversations. Uh, we know he practiced on Friday a couple weeks ago for the first time in a while. But we cannot continue to pay Ronnie Stanley what we're paying him for the output that we're getting. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the answer is because I don't really know what the problem is with Ronnie Stanley right now. I know he's not mm-hmm. anchoring as well as he used to. I know that it's been it's been it's been rough. And I think he will even say it's been rough. So I don't think I'm saying anything that's like bashing him or like throwing him under the bus or anything like that. I don't think he would say For like, sure. hey, I'm just not playing to the best of my abilities right now. I'm not having the best he's not having the best season. I think that's okay to say. For sure. I I just I don't know what the solution is. I don't want to say like one thing. Oh, you have to sit him or cut him. I don't I don't like doing that, especially to a guy that's been pretty good and had injuries and had a rough go with things. Mm-hmm. I I just don't know what the solution is. Maybe it is keep rotating him in and out. Maybe it's just try to get him healthier or like I don't know how you keep him in game shape and also keep uh, have him get healthier other than what you've been doing. And if it's mm-hmm. working, then by all means keep doing it. Same thing with Morgan Moses. If he's hurt, hurt battling injuries and you got to rotate him in and out. That's working by all means do that um i don't know i'm i am rooting for ronnie stanley though i think a lot of people oh absolutely and i'm not saying you're not i think a lot of people just get a moment like oh they're dogging him it is kind of pile on him at this point i don't know what piling on him would really do to help his confidence or anything with the situation so i'm rooting for him to do well um i think he can do well i think he can return to that form i just i just don't know what that's going to take to get there so yeah, that's, that's all I got to have to say. I think the interior old line is still pretty good. Um, and Fantastic. And is doing pretty well. I just, I'm concerned about the pass protection as a whole. And just for what we want going forward, I'm concerned about that. But, you know, this upcoming week will be a really uh, interesting and tough test for that, for sure, which we got coming up. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm terrified, honestly, about the pass protection, uh, especially with yeah. this game that we got coming up this weekend. Um, so, uh, anyway, we might as well go ahead and jump into it. Monday night football week, fi- uh, excuse me, week 16, Monday night football, Christmas day, eight o'clock kickoff Ravens at 49ers. A lot of people are talking that this may be a Super Bowl preview. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but Lamar had a fantastic answer to that in his, uh, press availability today. Somebody said that, um, you know, a lot of people are tall calling this a Super Bowl preview, and Lamar said Super Bowls in February were in December. I uh, I don't know why, yeah. but I've read that and I was like, yeah, that's that fired me up. Yeah. Um, but uh, 49ers may be the hottest team on the planet right now. I don't think there's anybody that's playing at their caliber on either side of AFC or NFC. Uh, over the last four games, they've won by an average of 17 and a half points. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, that's, that's a pretty, pretty good, good football over right the there. last month. Yeah. Pretty good football over the last month. Yeah. Um, Brock Purdy and Lamar Jackson are the shortest odds to win MVP. Brock Purdy is currently minus money. Uh, he's the odds on favorite, which there's been a lot of discourse. We don't have to get into that. People know our thoughts, I'm assuming. Um, Ravens are sitting on top of the AFC. Niners are sitting on top of the a- uh, NFC. This has all the makings of being a very good game. Two really good defenses, two pretty good offenses, one offense maybe better than the other not the ravens um the 49ers offense is really good yeah um they have, they have some guys that are pretty good at football yeah two yeah. two incredible head coaches kyle shanahan john harbaugh um i if i was a third party not invested in either team if i was say a minnesota vikings fan i would be so amped 
to watch this game. I would be like Carrie Underwood said, I'd be waiting all day for Monday night. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm a Ravens fan and I am just ready to be hurt again. Like Michael Scott says, um, going into it injuries. We talked about Ronnie Stanley. We talked about Morgan Moses. Uh, Jeff Z had his, his normal tweet that he had today. An official injury report won't come out until tomorrow or today. If you're listening to this on Thursday, but Kyle Hamilton said his knees all good. He should be able to go. Obviously he played last week and he was a full participant in practice on Friday last week. So he should be all good. Um, Zay flowers. There was a, a quiet report that he came out of the game late due to a foot thing against the Jaguars. He did not, he was not out there on the practice field today. However, Harbaugh said his foot is a no issue. So Zay should be good to go. Odell was not out there today, but I'm assuming that was just vet rest, yeah. whatever. He should be fine. Um, I'm I'm more worried about Morgan Moses than anything because if we don't have the capability at least to put our starting five out there on the offensive line, I don't think that bodes well for us. Um, but anyway, I digress. The 49ers last week, uh, Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave, they're two extremely talented interior linemen, did not play against uh, the Cardinals. I saw a report today that said there's a chance that they come back for this week. Um, I never want to wish injury on anybody. I never want to wish anything like that. But if they don't come back, I'm not going to be upset about it. Right. Get healthy. Get healthy. They're going to need you. They're going to need you boys for the stretch run in the playoffs. Right. You're not missing. You don't want to. You're not. You're not complaining if they take a rest week. Is what you're right. saying. You don't yeah. want to rush back back and and risk further injury or re-aggravation you don't want any of that no not at all not at all not at all (laughs) um they also had a couple guys on their injury report from last week but uh i think for the most part they're going to be okay dre greenlaw was a name that i saw pop up there which is something to monitor um elijah mitchell the running back i believe may be on ir uh designated for a return there's a chance that he might play this week there's a chance that he doesn't i don't know we'll keep an eye on that moving forward um there's a lot that we could say about this 49ers team. There's a lot that I have said in the past about this 49ers team. I think simply put, and Josh, I don't want to speak for you, but I have a feeling you're going to agree with what I'm going to say here. They have maybe the fewest weaknesses of any team in the NFL right now. They are really good at football. Not only are they really talented on the field, they're extremely well coached. Kyle Shanahan is phenomenal at what he does. His offense is spectacular. Um, Steve Wilkes, shout out to him. I think he's done an incredible job with that defense. Um, being in Carolina last year, having the interim job and having some success as the interim head coach there. Yeah. Not getting the full-time job, coming to San Francisco, taking the DC job. I think he's done excellently with that unit. Um, their defensive front, having Nick Bosa, Chase Young, the guys that we mentioned, Fred Warner, who is one A, one B in the NFL with Roquan. Yeah, he's he's pretty. They just they just have dudes at every single position. Trent Williams, who may or may not be the best left tackle to ever play football. Yep. They are really, really good, and I do think there's a reality in which the Ravens win this game. Um, I just think it's going to be hard. And if they were coming here, maybe it's a different story. But the fact that it's in San Francisco Monday night, it's a long flight for Baltimore. Um, I think San Francisco being favored by five and a half as, as the books have it currently, 
that's probably the right number. Um, so anyway, before I get into my unit matchups, Josh, give me just your initial feelings and thoughts going into this game. Yeah, I agree with a lot of things you said. I definitely do think this is the most complete team in football. Um, I think their weakness is their quarterback. And I say weakness in air quotes because their quarterback is also MVP candidate. I want to repeat that. <laughs> their biggest weakness is the odds on favorite uh, to win the NFL MVP. I'm let that sink in for a little bit because it's kind of crazy that that is that that's, and that's I think that's the truth. Like, yeah, defense, they're stacked. Their front seven's like insane. Um, yeah, they they have guys that can get home and get to the quarterback and make your lives absolutely miserable. So our offensive line yeah. and Patrick Ricard is going to be having like their hands full. Um, it's a tall task. It's a tall task. I do think the Ravens can win this game. Um, I think. Kyle Shanahan has moments where he, albeit a great coach, he does have moments where he can mismanage a game and just not clock manage well. So maybe that can work in our favor this game. Um, I think in order to win this game, we're going to have Lamar Jackson and like guys just put on a cape and go nuclear and just be Superman. However, if we were to drop a game, like we haven't lost a game since what? The the Bengals game when that girl twerked on that guy, I think was the last time we lost a game. Like... <laughs> I think if we were to drop one down the stretch, this is the one that I can, I don't want to say I'll be okay with it or be happy with it or whatever. I could, I can talk myself into being rationally okay with losing this game. My Christmas will be ruined, but I can at least talk myself into rationally, like dropping the game before you get to the playoffs. For sure. I, yeah. So we'll see what happens. It's, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a war, but um, we'll see what happens for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely fighting uphill. That's no question. But yeah, yeah, I think as crazy as it's going to sound, winning this game is not as important as winning no. the the game that we just won and the next two games. Yep. Uh, um, obviously, you never want to lose in the NFL, but no, I would much rather lose to the 49ers than lose to the Dolphins next week. Correct. So I said to you, Ahead of our last four games, you need to find a way to go three and one. If you lose this game to San Francisco, which, like I said, would not necessarily surprise me, you got to take care of business at home against Miami on New Year's Eve. Just flat yes. out have to. Yes. Um. All right. With that, we'll go ahead and jump into my unit matchups. So first, let's take a look at San Francisco's offense versus our defense. San Francisco ranks number three in the NFL in rush yards per game. They are averaging 139.9 on the ground on the season. They are fifth in the NFL in yards per carry at 4.7. They're number two in the NFL in pass yards per game, averaging 262.6. They are number one in yards per pass, averaging 9.8 per pass on the season. So they are really good. <laughs> Offensively, as far as the top four metrics go, running and throwing the football, they are top five in every single one. Yep. On the flip, on the flip side, Ravens defense. We are 10th in the league in rush yards per game against 102.1. We're averaging per game. We are tied for 18th in yards per rush, averaging 4.3 given up. We're number seven in pass yards per game allowed, averaging 185.7. And we are number one in yards per pass, 4.9 on average given up. So 
I'm going to come back to the statement that I'm about to make, but a lot of it feels like unstoppable force meets immovable object. Two yeah. really good units on either side of the football. And this is the ultimate something's got to give, right? One, yeah. one unit's going to come out on top. It's just a matter of which one. On the other sides of the football, San Francisco's defense for the, versus the Ravens offense. San Francisco's defense, number three in rush yards per game allowed, averaging 89.4, given up on the ground. Tied for 18th with the Ravens and a couple other teams at 4.3 yards per carry. So while they don't give up a ton of yards per carry, there's room to be had there. 15th in pass yards per game given up, 220.6 on average, and number six in yards per pass, 5.8. On the flip side, we know about the Ravens. Number one in rush yards per game, we're averaging 163.8. Number two in yards per carry, averaging five flat. 20th in pass yards per game, 210.4. And number four in yards per pass, averaging 7.7. So, Josh, you mentioned that San Francisco's quote-unquote biggest weakness is their MVP candidate, a quarterback. Um, I agree to an extent. I think Brock Purdy is good, and I think yeah. he's very good within his role. Um, however, in my opinion, I think their biggest, again, air quotes here, weakness is their secondary. The yeah. only reason their secondary, and I, I've, I've had this take for a while, um, their defense obviously is incredible. They have dudes all over the place. But for the last couple of years, their secondary hasn't necessarily been as good as the rest of the unit. And, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, taking them, trying to take them down a notch or two because they're still ex extremely good at what they do. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, they lost Talanoa Hufanga, their safety out of USC, yeah. who's very good. Um, he was kind of the, st the straw that stirred the drink. Um, kind of played similarly a little bit to how Kyle Hamilton plays, although Talanoa was a little bit more involved in coverage. Yeah. Um, so without him, I think their secondary has uh, struggled just a little bit. But that being said, their, again, air quotes, inefficiencies with their secondary don't necessarily show up because they are so good up front and can get to the quarterback so quickly that it makes up for it. Yeah. But anyway, so those are the stats. Those are the numbers. I'm going to jump into my keys to victory. Go for it. My first one, first key to victory, explosive plays. On defense, you have to keep the lid on. And on offense, you're going to have to get a couple. San Francisco is number one in the league in explosive plays on both offense and defense. They have the most explosive plays on offense, and they've given up the least amount of explosive plays on defense. I think explosive plays is, def is defined as plays of 20 yards or more. Yep. I don't have the number in front of me, but I think the Ravens defense has been fairly good at that. They've only given up a few that I can remember at least. Yeah. Um, that being said, if the Ravens want to win this game, they have to keep the lid on the offense. They can't let Ayuk and Debo and Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle pop for 40 or 50 long touchdowns, big momentum swings. You just can't. And frankly, if Mike Mack has to sit in a shell and basically say, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us nickel and diming us down the field. I'm okay with that. I think that's, yeah. I think that's a perfectly fine game plan for this game because if you can frustrate their offense by not having those big hitters, that's a win for you. You know, like, yep. like I said, let them nickel and dime you down the field. Ben, don't break, you know, let them get down the field. And then once they get into the red zone, put the clamps on, yep. let them take threes instead of sevens, let force them into making mistakes. Don't let them beat you 
by gashing you like they've done to other teams. You just flat out can't let that happen. Yep. Second key to victory. This one uh, may be a bit of a stretch here, but it's it has to be said. You got to keep Lamar upright. Yep. Just flat out have to keep Lamar upright. Um, we've talked about how good Lamar is with a clean pocket. We saw last week what he can do when he has some time to throw the ball. I mean, shit, last week we saw what he can do when he doesn't have time to throw the ball. He'll make stuff happen. But if you give Lamar time to throw the ball, he can absolutely pick you apart. He can be surgical when he has the opportunity to be so. If Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses can just buy a little bit of time, give Lamar more than a second and a half to two seconds to throw the football. If they can do that, I think we'll have some opportunities to attack that secondary of San Francisco. Now, we mentioned the guys on defense. Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave. They're really good. Yeah. They're really good. And I admittedly hand up, I don't have a ton of faith in our offensive line against this unit just because of how good San Francisco is. But I think that that's where Todd Munkin comes into play on this one. If, if Todd Munkin can design plays to attack holes in the defense that get the ball out quick, get the ball into your hand, into the hands of Odell and Zay and Isaiah likely and Rashad Bateman and justice Hill and Gus, get the ball out quick, take Bosa and Hargrave and chase young, take those boys out of the game and make them chase the opposite side of the field. It's, it's going to come on Lamar. It's going to come on Har, uh, Munkin. Get the ball out quick. Be creative. Do what you got to do. Third key to victory. Kind of goes hand in hand with play calling. That last point that I made there. Run the damn football. Run the damn football. I know San Francisco is very good against the run. I know that. But as good against the run as they are, we are the number one rushing offense in the NFL. We're coming off a 250-yard rushing performance. Use Pat Ricard. Use Charlie mm-hmm. Kohler. Don't be afraid to get creative with your blocking schemes, with your run schemes. Hell, put Ronnie Stanley on the edge. Have Makari line up at left tackle and send Ronnie Stanley in motion for all I care. Get weird with it. Like, you have to, if you want to win this game, you have to dictate the time of possession. You have to win the clock. And there's no better way to do that than running the football. Yep. I don't have the number in front of me, but San Francisco, as far as points per game goes, has to be in the top five, if not top three in the NFL. They just put up points. That's just what their offense does. Yep. The best way to not give up points is to keep the other offense off the field. Gus Edwards ran the ball really well in the second half last week. We talked about that. Just let him do what he does. Win up yep. front, get, get creative with your blocking schemes, and just do your thing. Two more keys to victory. Second to last one, force Brock Purdy into making mistakes. Yep. I think Brock Purdy is a very good quarterback. In the system that he's in, I think he's excellent because he's smart, he doesn't turn the ball over, and he can work everywhere on the field. That being said, if you get pressure and you force him into a mistake, your chances to win this game grow exponentially. We finally got a defensive turnover last week that we mentioned on the pod. We got a defensive turnover for the first time in four or five weeks. If you get one turnover or more in this game and you win the turnover differential, you are sitting in a fantastic spot. Like I said, you got to keep their offense off the field. If you force Brock Purdy to make a mistake, give you an extra possession without giving them extra possessions on our end, your chances to win this game grow exponentially. Last quarter, excuse me. 
last key to victory. Josh, it's funny that you mentioned this because you literally said this a couple minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Lamar's got to put the cape on. Yeah. Flat out. Lamar's got to put the cape on. He's got to be Superman again. I'm not saying, you know, he's got to throw for 400 yards. I'm not saying he's got to have a, you know, Colts game performance. But what I am saying is he's got to find his spots. He's got to pick apart the defense with his arm. And I mean, shit, we're probably going to need him to rush for at least 60, 70 yards as well. This is going to yeah. be, this is going to have to be a game where Lamar just takes over and he says, you know what? I'm the MVP. I'm Lamar Jackson. I'm, you know, there's a reason that this team paid me what they did. There's a reason that this team made me the, the face of the franchise and the captain and the cornerstone, whatever. And that's just flat out. It's got to be this game if we want to win. Um, yep. I went back and looked at some stats. San Francisco has three losses on the season. In each of those loss, or excuse me, in two of those three losses, the opposing quarterback threw for at least 280 yards. Also, in each of those three losses, going back to my last point, Brock Purdy threw at least one interception. Yep. So if you turn over Brock Purdy, like I said, better odds. But also, each quarterback that beat the Niners did so on the back of his arm. The only one that didn't was P.J. Walker, and that was that weird game against the Browns that was really sloppy and came down to a last-second field goal. Anyway. And everybody was hurt that day. Everybody was hurt that day, exactly. So, ultimately, I think this is going to come down to Lamar. Um, I said to my dad earlier this afternoon, I am nervous for this game. However, I think at this current moment in the NFL, the quarterback most suited to beat the 49ers is Lamar Jackson. Yes. Like, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen is Josh Allen. I... I would put Lamar up against anybody in the NFL going against the San Francisco 49ers team. And I'll leave it at that. Those are my keys to victory. Those are my points, Josh. I know I just threw a lot at you, but go ahead and, and, and tell me what you're thinking. Let me in. Give me, give me your, give me your overall thoughts here. I kind of agree with you on a lot. I mean, I agree with you on everything you said. O-line has to step up and do play well. Pat Ricard has to be involved and block well. Um, I did forget about their secondary as a weakness. Um, I kind of made up my mind to say what I was going to say at that point, and I forgot about their secondary. But what we need Lamar to do, if the O-line is not going to give you a whole bunch of time, just be escapable and do what you can do and, like, buy some time. You don't need to – I mean, I, would love, I, think, I think he does need to run for 60, 70, 80 yards to have a chance in this game just to help balance out the run game. But honestly, like, just get out the pocket and extend drives. That will be huge for us and give our receivers some time to get separation, especially guys like Zay Flowers, especially if they're going to play zone, like – Guys like Odell, Zay, and like even likely Nick could sit in a zone and do pretty well with that. So I think Lamar has to be escapable, and I think that gives us like the best, absolute best chance to win um, this game. Uh, we do have to run the ball, be consistent with running the ball. That's just a fact. Get Gus Edwards involved, get Hill involved, get all those guys like going so that they can we, we can have a balanced offense. And Munkin, I trust him to come up with a good game plan. Don't exactly know what that's going to be, but I trust him to like be able to get things going. Defensively, like you said, stop the exploding plays. Get guys like Debo Samuel and check. Don't let Christian McCaffrey beat you, and keep guys like Brandon Ayuk and like you know Debo Samuel as a check if possible. I mean, this offense goes up against Chase and um, you know T Higgins a lot and guys mm-hmm. like that. Um, Caps just won the game. Um, Dylan Schultz scored oh, yeah. in overtime. Um, sorry, that got distracted for a second. But yeah, <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> be able to make tackles in open fields, like. Um, like they do against Cincinnati. 
I think mm-hmm. Kyle Hamilton plays a lot well because I think he can go up and tackle those guys like Debo and do really well with that. So yep. all in all, I think that we will be okay in that regard. So make your tackles, limit the explosive plays on defense, force Brock Purdy to have a turnover because he will he can make mistakes. Like he can. I think he's a solid quarterback. I watched him at Iowa State a lot. Like he mm-hmm. is good. He does like a pretty good job, but force him to make mistakes and we can win the game and just limit your mistakes and you got to have a good flow going, especially with um, Lamar being escapable. So make your plays, be escapable, run the ball. And I think you can do well and win this game. So, yeah, those are great points. I absolutely agree. Every, I will also say this about Brock Purdy before we get out of here. Every yeah. game that I've seen him lose or every bad game that I've seen him have, both college and professionally, he's been pressured a ton. So yes. I think that's the biggest thing. If our D line can get to him, Mike Mack, draw up some crazy stunts, crazy blitzes, get to Brock Purdy, get in his face early and off and make him uncomfortable in that pocket. I think we got a good goddamn shot. I, I agree with that. I need to see, uh, I need to see DD just get home. I need to see guys like Brandon yep. Stevens have a good game. Need Roquan and Queen to get home. I need like, they need to get home. So let's yep. see what happens. Let's see what happens. Yeah, man. Yeah. But anyway, I think we can put a bow on episode 84. Josh, Thank you as always, brother. I appreciate you jumping on talking ball with me, man. It's always a great time. Um, For all of our listeners, Josh, to you as well, have a very Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Enjoy your time with your family. If you're traveling, safe travels to you all. And until next week, we'll see you then. Peace. All right, y'all. Last order of business, as always, best bets for the week. NFL Week 16 on deck. Get you some best bets, and then we'll send you into Christmas weekend. All right, first game. I got two picks in this game. Thursday night football. So if you are listening on drop day, shout out to you. First pick. I'm going to take the Rams minus the four and a half. Rams are at home. This Rams team's playing really well right now. And on the other side, I don't think the Saints are playing all that well. Um, To me, the Rams are just the better team, and they're playing with far more life. Uh, The Saints on the year are 2-4-1 against the spread on the road. The Rams are 4-3 and three against the spread at home. Total on the year, Saints are 4-9-1 and one against the spread. And the Rams are 8-5-1 and one against the spread on the year as a whole. So off the bat, I like the Rams. Uh, also looking at the numbers, I think the Rams have a pretty significant edge in the run game. Uh, the Rams are 11th in rush yards per game, and the Saints are 24th at stopping the run. The Saints have a really good pass uh, offense. Uh, obviously, the Rams, we know what they can do through the air. Matt Stafford is playing out of his mind. Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua. Demarcus Robinson, former Raven, shout out, uh, has played really well over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I, I think this is ultimately going to come down to the Rams controlling the game, running the ball. Kyron Williams is on fire. I think he's going to have his way with that defense. Uh, I don't know what the number is going to be, but maybe take a look at some of uh, his props. Uh, that rolls into my second pick for this game. I'm going to take the under 46 and a half. The Saints offense is weird. They're capable of popping every now and then, but I just, like I said, I haven't seen a ton of life from them. Derek Carr may still be injured. Who knows what the hell's going on with him? Um, but I think this number is just a bit, a little bit too high. Uh, going back to the whole Thursday night football primetime unders trend, Rams are six and eight to the under on the year. They're two and five to the under at home. Saints are four and 10 to the under total on the year and two and five on the road as well. So I like the trends. I like where everything's pointing to this under. Um, if I were to pick just one uh, bet from this game, I'd probably lay the points with the Rams. I think if they win this game, they're going to win it by at least a touchdown. That's just me. You know, short week, Thursday night football, who knows what's going on. But that's how I feel on the Thursday night game. 
Two more picks for you guys. First game, Bills at Chargers. I'm not in the business of laying 12 points at this point with anybody really in the season. Um, I didn't want to take the Chargers getting 12 and a half at home. Where I'm going with this one, not a total on the game. I'm going to take the Bills team total over 27 and a half. We know about the Chargers. The Ravens played them a few weeks ago. Decent stopping the run. They're currently tied for 10th in rush yards per game allowed. But in the pass game, obviously, is where they have a glaring weakness. They are 30th against the pass this year on defense. Bill's offense is sixth in rush yards per game. And over the last three weeks, they're second in the league, only behind Baltimore. They are averaging 186 on the ground over the last three. I mentioned the Chargers actually are pretty good against the run. I think the Bills are maybe one of the hottest teams in the NFL behind the 49ers. Uh, I'm going to take, like I said, the Bills team total over 27 and a half. They just put 31 on Dallas. Dallas is a significantly better team than the Chargers. This game is on the road, which, you know, feel about that how you will. I don't think it's going to impact them very much. They're fighting for a playoff spot. They know what's on the line. And on the other side, the Chargers are pretty much dead. So ordinarily fired coach game. I'd have to bet the Chargers here, but nothing about that Chargers team makes me want to bet on them. Austin Eckler looks like shit. Keenan Allen is probably going to be out. Justin Herbert out. I just don't see this going the Chargers way, and I don't want to lay the 12 with the Bills, so I'm going to take the Bills team total over 27 and a half. Last pick that I have for you guys today, uh, ugly game, Sunday night game on Christmas Eve. Going to be watching this with my family having dinner. Patriots at Broncos. I'm going to roll with the under 34 and a half here. It's a very low total, um, but both of these defense are really good, and both of these offenses are not good. Broncos are three and four to the under at home. Two and four are the Patriots on the road to the under this year. Uh, I just think that both of these teams are going to play really good defense against one another. I don't think that either offense is all that much to be afraid of. Um, Obviously, Buffalo has played, or excuse me, not Buffalo. Denver has played much better over the last few weeks. Russ has played pretty well, but he's not lighting up the scorecard by any means. Um, I just, I'm not really expecting much uh, production out of either offense. Denver's averaging 19.3 points per game over their last three games. I just like the under here. I think this is going to be a cagey, you know, 17 to six or maybe 13 to 10, something around there. Uh, 34 and a half. I, I like the under here. Those are my best bets so far. I will have more come Sunday morning or even maybe Saturday. I'll have the intern put those out. Um, nevertheless, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for rocking with me. If you're betting with us, best of luck. Have a very Merry Christmas. Happy holidays with your families. Be safe. Have one on us. And we will cheers to you guys next week. Peace.
I can't lie, I'm into you I can't lie, from the truth Drop my eye, pull me close 